You may wish to adjust the dial you're currently tuned into. The wrong station. She pulled over at my usual cafe and put on the blinkers, leaned over and kissed me on the cheek, ruffled my hair as she looked me in the eyes. I love you, she told me. You're a good person. She always felt the need to tell me that, because deep down I knew I wasn't. I kissed her back, held her tight, warm and firm, her hair soft and spiky as new pine needles. I love you too, Dana, forever. Have a good day, okay? You too. A moment later, I was standing at the curb, ankle-deep in high-piled gray Toronto slush, watching her taillights mingle with the flow of traffic into thinly falling snow and freezing rain, feeling something somehow changed. When I walked inside, I found my usual seat taken by a man I hated on sight. Big guy, with scruffy graying jaw and reddish windseared cheeks. Oversized shirt jacket and blue-white scruffy plaid. Hands like huge clods of dirt and heavy steel toes half-tied on his feet, leaving clods of slushy mud all over the floor. His very existence inconsiderate. Looked like he worked construction or something. Just sitting there, drinking a big cup of black coffee and staring down everyone in the building. Myself included. I barely stepped in the door before he was eyeing me up and down with a smug, calculating look on his big, ugly face. I didn't make eye contact. I'd met his kind before and had more important things to do that day than wander into some asshole's orbit. So I got my coffee, left a good tip, and found an open chair by the door where it got cold from people walking in and out. Fine enough. Opened my computer and got to work. And that should have been that. But every few minutes out of the corner of my eye, I could see the guy watching me. The mind did my own business even harder, but after about a quarter hour of this game, he got up and clumped over with heavy, filthy footsteps, pulled out the chair across from me, sat himself down. At this point, I didn't have much of a choice but to look up at him. He gave me a scraggly, underbite kind of grin. You Owen Sterlayson? I was. Do I know you? He put out a meaty hand. Rob Grimson. Said it with a kind of, yes, me, that Rob Grimson look on his face. But I'd never heard the name before in my life. I didn't accept the offered hand. What can I do for you, Rob? He found this condescending, but decided to be the bigger man, sitting back and shaking his head at my ignorance. Gestured to himself, 
Rob Grimson. Grimson. From Halgird, Saskatchewan. That name rang a distant bell. Something written under a sepia photograph your great-aunt finds important. People you don't know standing out in front of some forgotten farmhouse somewhere. Uh, Halgird, uh, all right, I think I know it. So what are you then, like some sort of second cousin? Not that I could see any resemblance. But he smiled and shook his head with a mix of pity and disgust. Nah, bud, I ain't your fucking cousin. Then who are you? Why, why are you talking to me then? He folded his arms and narrowed his eyes, squinted into my face for a long moment. Can't tell if you're fucking with me, Mr. Layson. What do you mean? What do you think I mean? I don't have a clue what you mean. You came up to me. I'm in the middle of work over here, so could we please get to the point? His smile rotted away, leaving only the bottom teeth showing. Typical fucking Sterlasons. Think you're so much better than the rest of us. I tell you, you may be a thousand fucking miles from home, but the apple ain't fallen far from the family tree. I think you know goddamn well why I'm here. I promise you I don't, and I'm about to walk out this door. He sneered. Chicken shit. I spread my arms. Who the fuck are you? This was loud enough that half the cafe turned to look. Rob's eyes narrowed. A couple rusty gears thunked into place in his head. You really don't know, do you? Have you ever even heard the name Grimson before? N no, I've been telling you that for five minutes. People slowly turned back to their drinks. Rob shook his head, sighing, wiping his face with his hands. Well, isn't that just something? Jesus Christ. Never even occurred to me that they wouldn't have told you. What a crock of shit. It's really not fair to you. Even if you are some shitty downtown whiner. He leaned forward. I'm talking about the feud, Owen. The feud. Excuse me? He sighed. Took a big swig of coffee. Settled in. <clears throat> well, you see... Your great-great-grandfather was a thieving son of a bitch who used some fucking city lawyer to get a hold of my great-great-grandfather's inheritance. That's where it all starts, yeah? They hated each other for years, wouldn't even go to church at the risk of seeing one another. And then one day they cross paths in the bush and they get to fighting, and it's all fair enough, but at the end of it your great-great-granddad winds up dead. Well, the end and good riddance, right? Well, not so fast. Because even though my great-great-granddad goes away for 15 years, serves his time, your great-granddad, unreasonable son of a bitch that he is, holds a grudge. And he starts to spread rumors around the town. Grimsons are no good, you can't trust him, etc., uh, etc. Et so, when our great-great-granddad comes home and then a few months later has a mysterious so-called fall that leaves him a fucking vegetable, we all know who's really to blame, right? Your murdering great-granddad obviously did it to get back at him. For... for what? Went in a fair fight? Well, that's when things really take off. Because your great-granddad, lying piece of shit that he is, denies it. Add an insult to injury because clearly he thinks we're all stupid. So we jump him one night, and even though we should have killed him for what he'd done, we're reasonable fucking people, so we just clip his nuts. And plenty of folk live a full life just like that, you know. Way better than being a vegetable. Well, try telling that to your great-uncle. 
He completely overreacts. Comes up to my great-granddad in the middle of the town, square, broad daylight. Blam! Blows him away. Brains in the Sunday afternoon dust. (laughs) What the fuck? So then he goes to jail. At some point in the next few years, my great-granddad's brother picks up his, your great-uncle's sister, locks her in the barn for a few days as a joke. But she, being a lion, Sterlayson, says he did something he didn't, and then a week later, my great-great-uncle's twisting from a rope at the edge of town. Okay, so after that, it's war. Plain and simple. We're talking fights and beatings, murders, houses burning down, people going to prison and killing each other there. This would be about the time your granddad turned chicken shit and upped steaks for the East. Anyway, things didn't simmer down until after uh, 45. Bunch of both families got wiped away at Normandy, and the ones who came back were mostly cripples. So the women of each side patched things up. But then that didn't stop your second cousin popping my dad in the head with a tire iron when I was a kid, or his bitch wife from making it the whole town's problem when the house burned down with him inside a few months after that. You following me so far? I blinked. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Rob shook his head sadly. Mr. Layson's got a lot to answer for, all right. Anyway, uh, flash forward to a couple months ago, and your, uh, I don't know, third cousin? I don't get how it works with the, uh, removeds and all that, but anyway. A couple months ago, old Burton Sterlayson kicks it from the emphysema, and we're left with a problem. Problem being, there's no more Sterlaysons left living in Halgard. I put my face in my hands. How is that a problem? It's over. You won. The town's yours. But Rob shook his head, squinting regretfully. Well, it would be. You see, we have a reason to believe a couple winters back, your man Burton drugged my cousin Jonah and dropped him off to freeze in the backcountry. Death by misadventure, said the RCMP. But come on. Everyone knows what's up. So we did the sensible thing and let it lie for a few years. But then your man bird up and dies before we got a chance to make things square. He looked at me expectantly, like a large dog waiting to be fed. When I didn't say anything, he prompted me with, And that's where you come in. Me. That's right. What? You want me to pay some kind of blood money or something? Even if this was any of my business, and it's not, I spend most of my money on rent. I've got like 600 bucks in savings. He put up his hands, reasonably. Okay, well, don't worry. We're not asking for any money. But then he gestured frankly at me. But all due respect, it is something to do with you. Blood thicker than water and all that. You know, maybe your granddad wanted to spare you all this, but... It's still Sterlaysons. Sterlaysons is Sterlaysons. But we're not asking any money, and since we're reasonable folks, we're not asking any payback for the generations went before. Just Jonah. And since we are reasonable, we're not here for nothing underhanded. Just a fair fight, that's all. You and me, at a time and place of your choosing. What? What the fuck are you talking about? He stared evenly in my direction. 
Well, there's no need to be rude. I closed my laptop, started packing away my things. Rob, it's been interesting to meet you. Not pleasant, but interesting. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, come on now. He spread his arms as I stood. Don't be a bitch like your granddad. You know what? In spite of myself, that last part got under my skin. Because sure, Rob was a big guy, and I'm sure he was used to pushing people around. But I'm tall enough to match him pound for pound, and I'm not used to being pushed. And you know what? I would have gladly kicked his ass for him right then and there. Except that I'm a civilized fucking human being. But anyway, that was the end of it. Until the next morning, Dana opened our living room curtains and screamed and fell backwards, snarling her feet and almost falling through the glass-top coffee table. Dana, what, I what is it? I was already there with my arms around her, but she just stared up with wild eyes and pointed out the window. Blinding daylight, white and golden on our new white snow. And in the middle of our shared front yard, aimed straight at our apartment's ground floor front window, the head of a horse, impaled on a stake. I don't know how long I stared. White sunlight and the creature's blank, dead eyes, shining softly from velvet fur. Slow wind playing through its tattered mane, that head nearly as large as my torso, mounted on a hardwood pole the thickness of my wrist. Dribbles of black blood frozen to the haft, the snow all cherry crimson at its base. No tracks leading to or from, as if the whole thing had appeared on its own by witchcraft, gazing straight toward us. And as I stared into those flat, dead eyes, it was like they saw something inside of me, something they recognized. And as I stared back, holding Dana tightly to my chest, all the horror and revulsion hardened inside me into a feeling I thought I'd known before but never truly had. Hatred. If you've ever known, you'll know how good it feels. The police showed up a few hours later. A couple of pigs who didn't even give their names. Didn't even come to the door. They pulled up out front, they rang me, and I had to throw on my coat and walk out to stand by their car window in the cold. Sir, why do you have this on your lawn? Because someone put it there, that's why I called you. The cop in the window had a filthy spiral notepad about the size of a credit card. He was making illegible notes with a blunt golf pencil. Do you know who it was? Uh, yes, uh, a man named Rob Grimson. He's from Halgert, Saskatchewan. Maybe 6'1", white, heavy build... Gray hair. Uh-huh, uh-huh, um... Well, what did you do to Mr. Grimson? Do? Nothing. He's crazy. Sir. The second officer leaned over his identical partner. Have you tried talking to him? Yes, I tried talking to him. Then he went and did this. The two looked at one another. So, what do you want us to do about it? Find him. Arrest him. The officer shrugged. I mean, we could. And he'd get a fine, maybe. That would be that. You don't understand. This guy's dangerous. This, this is a threat. He thinks we're in this feud that goes back decades and... Oh, so you did do something to Mr. Grimson. No, I, I didn't. Sir, 
the second officer. I'm going to need you to calm down. I cannot tell you how apoplectic this made me. I am calm, I managed to say. Look, sir, said the cop in the window. This really seems like a private issue to me. Whatever problem you have with this uh, Grissom guy, it's best you just talk things out instead of wasting police time. Great, I said. Thank you for your help. Just doing our job, sir. And, uh... He pointed to the horse head. You're gonna have to clean that up. It's a public health issue. I held things together until I was back inside. Then I... Kept myself, barely, from putting a fist through the wall. Which was good, seeing as how our building has brick walls. Maybe we should just stay with my parents for a little while, Dana suggested. Yeah. I hated the idea of being forced from my own home. Yeah, um... Maybe we should. We were there for a week, up in Halton Hills, overlooking the dry woods and boardwalks down in Hungry Hollow. Not a lot to do up there in winter, but at least I was able to get some work done. On the third day, I was down for a walk by Silver Creek when I got a call. Private number. Thinking it might be work, I picked up. It immediately knew the voice on the other end. You know, it's a fucked up thing you're doing, Owen. What the fuck? That I'm doing? That I'm doing, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. An aggrieved reasonableness to Rob's voice. I came here offering to put an end to everything. Once and for all, like... Like Christians. And you turned me down. I offered to let it already be done, and then you... I held my phone in front of my face and screamed at the top of my lungs. Put a fucking horse head on my lawn! A knithing pole. He corrected. What? It's called a knithing pole. It's a thing from the old country. Curse. Way of calling you out. Oh, so now you're using magic against me. You dumb fuck. You know, you sound pretty upset there, Owen. I could hear him grinning. Sounds like maybe you kind of do want to fight me. How about I do you one better, you redneck trash? If you ever come near me or my family again, I'll fucking kill you. Well, now, Rob said. That's what I like to hear. Where and when? Fuck you. All right. A sigh in his voice. Guess you're not quite ready yet. Well, hope you get the results you're looking for this week. Then he hung up. And I realized I was red in the face, doubled over my phone in the middle of a public trail. That there was a family with two young children staring at me. Sorry, I told them, wiping damp hair from my face. Business call. It wasn't until... Later that I began to feel a creeping unease about Rob's final words. The results you're looking for. How could he have known? On the fifth day, those results came. Dana sat on them all day until her parents had gone to bed. Then she came up behind me in the kitchen as I was making tea and put her arms around my shoulders, rested her head on my back. She said, We're going to have a baby. For an entire day, the earth was golden clouds beneath our feet. Then, the morning of the seventh day, we woke to find a horse head staked into her parents' lawn. I was silent all the way as we drove back to the city, 
paying attention to the tint-windowed silver F-150 that haunted our rear view down the 401. Exactly the kind of car that Rob Grimson would drive. Dana, looking a little pale beside me as she drove, glancing in my direction from time to time. How are you doing? She asked. I'm okay. <laughs> Convincing. How should I be doing? I- I'm outraged, furious. She took a long time before speaking, hesitantly. Look, I know this is new for you, but it's it's not that different from the sort of thing a lot of women have to live with all the time. And don't get me wrong, it, it shouldn't be like that, and I'm not going to say it's good or normal or okay in any way. But it's the sort of thing people can manage to get through. You're careful, you rely on a community to stay safe, and you get by. It's really hard to keep up an obsession like this guy has. Sooner or later, people like that, they either give up or move on to something else. Or they destroy themselves. I said. Or they kill you. She hesitated. Couldn't deny that. My point is, she began, there are ways through this that don't involve anything drastic. You mean that don't involve me going to jail for murder? Yes. She took a hand off the wheel for one moment to squeeze my knee. Shot me a quick glance. I love you. You're a good person. I want you to stay with me. I noted the exit as the F-150 turned off. Then I shot her a glance, a quick smile. I promise you, I said. That's what I want as well. When we arrived at home, a picture of a horse head had been slid under our door. We packed up some fresh things and headed back out. An aunt of mine in Markham who could take us in for a week or two. Back on the highway, past the Scarborough exit where the F-150 had turned down. All the way out. Parked the car in her garage and closed the door. Ate a meal of my aunt's famously questionable broccoli casserole. Went to bed in the dusty, 1970s guest room. Dana fell asleep almost immediately. She was holding up well, but it had been a stressful couple of days for her. I think even more so than for me. I lay awake for a long time, watching her sleep, stroking the soft hair by her cheek, loving her so, so much that it made my chest hurt. Then I heard the soft latch of a truck door outside the guest room window, the slow unsticking of tires from the damp tarmac, a large vehicle pulling away. I slowly untangled myself from her and drifted to the window. Already knew what I would see when I parted the blinds with two fingers. A horse head, staring from its spit. A knithing pole. Its eyes were locked on mine. I let the blind fall shut and hung my head. Stood for a long moment in the dark, making my decision. Then I went to a chair in the corner of the room and began to put on my socks. Hmm? Dana's mumble, questioning, three quarters asleep. It's okay, go back to sleep. I came to the edge of the bed and stroked her hair. I'm just, uh, I'm going out for a bit to clear my head. I love you. Um, I love you. She murmured. I looked at her for a long time 
for the last time. And not for long enough. Then I was out on the road with the radio off, driving in complete silence down to the 404, wearing an old blue-black coat I inherited from my grandfather, orange lights drifting past in lurid quiet as I tumbled south, stopped for black coffee and drank two cups by the side of the road, feeling raw and wired by the time I hit the 401. Something in my brain knew exactly where to go, like the stone in a goose's head that always aims for the North Pole. I hit the exit I'd remembered and turned down. Found a stretch of motels. Honest-to-God motels in this, the devil's 21st century. Grimy, run-down hour ones. Three or four blocks of them. Trafficking motels. And there, on the last block, lit up lurid orange by the sodium light like a sign from above, a tint-windowed silver F-150, parked diagonal. God, it was so easy, wasn't it? Almost seems too easy now. Like fate. Well, I guess Rob Grimson wanted to be found. I unbundled something from the trunk. Unwrapped, blue tarp to meet a frozen stare. Dragged it into the parking lot outside the bedroom window. Dim, blue light was showing through the curtains of the room with that pickup parked outside. TV still on. Night Owl, Rob. I bent and threw a pebble of crumbled asphalt at the window. Then another, and another. A shadow gathered at the curtain, and I stood tall. There had been one or two warm days in the past week, and the horse's eyes were milky, seeping with decay by now. I aimed them right at the motel room door. Then the door swung open, and out into the orange light stepped Rob. Grimson. He's wearing boxers and a grimy t-shirt, and over that a brand new bright red bathrobe, swinging open. He was carrying a couple of heavy, medieval-looking weapons in his arms. Halberds, their blades of blunt and rusty farming steel, their halves of weathered, sturdy oak. His heavy jaw was unhinged in a smile, his big, square teeth glinting at me as he tossed one of the weapons at my feet, a weighty clang on the tarmac. Well, 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 look who the hell it is. Owen Sterlayson. I was starting to think you didn't have it in you. Well, here I am. I stamped the knithing pole on the pavement. Brought you your little present back. Thought I might shove it up your ass. <laughs> That's more like it. Rom laughed. He gave the halberd a couple of experimental hefts and shouldered it, orange light creasing against its blade, its spiked point. Quite the change for Mr. Uppity Coffee Shop last week. What changed? You get some bad test results? Good ones. Oh, I see. So you decided to take care of this. In case one of these days, Uncle Rob showed up at school and picked your child up for you. That made my heart pump bile. There isn't going to be any Uncle Rob. His smile only widened. Well, if not me, then some other member of the clan. There is a lot of us, you know. And unlike you, we don't forget. We don't just run off east when things get tough. 
and suddenly I could see all of them, stretching back and forward in time, all of them the same, with their low-slung jaws and sneering grimson smile, all of them awful, every one threat. He saw the horror on my face, mistook it for fear, stepped close until only a few feet separated us, till the clouds of our breath mingled in the orange light. <laughs> well, there it is then, he whispered. A chicken shit branch of the Sturlason family shows its true face. Always so proud of yourselves. And for what? In the end, we got the town. In the end, we won. He jerked his chin down toward the weapon at my feet. Pick that up. Let's end this, man to man. I looked down. I... I don't want to use that. He mistook my meaning. Sneered. I said pick it up, you chicken shit. He was just a shade too slow as I swung the knithing pole overhand and the frozen horse head crunched into his face. And as he fell back, streaming blood and trying to get the halberd in front of him, I drew back and battering ram the head into his ribs, driving forward until he hit the splintering glass of the window. And then he had one arm around the head and the other trying to drive the halberd's blunt spike through my winter jacket and I pulled back, twisting the pole so it came free from the horse's head and I could swing it like a baseball bat. First, breaking the arm with the halberd, then smashing him through the window to lie like a bloody rag doll in the gray, stained carpet of the motel floor. I dropped the pole and picked something up. When I came through the motel door a moment later, crunching through the broken glass... It was the horse head in my arms. Rob was trying to scramble back through the broken glass, wheezing from what must have been at least one broken rib. He leered up at me as I came to stand over him, his face a mess of blood, shining orange with the sodium light outside, blue from the TV glow within, speckled white with shards of broken tooth. <laughs> it isn't going to matter, Sturl. His voice... Thick with blood and swollen tongue. Put me down, the rest will come. Your kid'll never live in peace. <laughs> That's why I'm going west. I raised the horse head with both hands. The world just stinks too much with Grimson's in it. His face changed. You fucking... I didn't hear the rest of that sentence because I brought that 35-pound, half-frozen horse head crashing down on his face and picked it up and flunk it down again. So many times his head was just a crater by the end of it. it took a moment to gather up my breath. It could have let it be, I told the corpse. But I guess we both wanted this. A small crowd had gathered outside by the time I crunched back out at the glass, covered in Grimson's blood, dragging the head of a horse behind me by the mane. They stood back from me, watching. None of them decent folk. All of them shocked, but none of them surprised. I nodded for a moment, then bent back and collected the pole, fitted it back into the horse head with a squelch. Then... Rested the red assembly on my shoulder pad and 
slouched back toward the car. The knithing pull was heavy, but I felt very strong. Hatred is the greatest feeling in the world. The crowd parted before me like a sea as I crossed the parking lot, climbed into Dana's little teal car, wrestled the horse head into the passenger seat beside me. I'd need it where I was going. Three thousand clicks to Halgird. Called three days' drive. I pulled out into the night and headed west, driving far and fast from where the sun would rise. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Patrons can listen to The Wrong Station ad-free, as well as get access to bonus episodes, discussions, and more. This week's episode, Nithing, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. Thank you to Daniel Parrish, Jacob Heaton, Lady B. Boss, Jyla Storms, Wodge, and Ben Tidswell for helping us keep the lights... The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.